Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. How would Alfred deal with these two visitors to Gotham from Ireland? Well, I mean, first of all, how did you get to the ball? And, uh, and secondly, I, I'd grasp you firmly by the elbow, and I'd walk you very smartly to the gates, and I might even show you my commando knife. Uh, <laughs> You could set the dogs on us as well. Yeah, well, no, I don't need dogs, mate. Welcome back, detectives, to Gotham TV Podcast, episode 46, the home of the hit show Gotham. This week we're looking at episode 21, the penultimate episode of Gotham, The Anvil or the Hammer. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Derek. Looks like Renee Montoya and uh, Chris Allen aren't appearing on Gotham for the rest of this season. The only place they're appearing is our intro to our show. We are keeping the MCU spirit alive and kicking with our intro. Um, and so it should be. It, again, it was another just quick note that I made during this episode that the MCU was nowhere to be seen. Mm-hmm. And um, I've even now noted down that Fish Mooney hasn't resurfaced um, since, I think, it's episode 19, maybe. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around that. Yeah. Um, 18 or 19. 19. Um, I am absolutely sure that Fish Mooney will be back Definitely. for the season finale. Um, fortunately, social media ha- has um, has spoiled that one for me. But nonetheless, it is a real shame that the MCU detectives Alan and Montoya are not in Gotham. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of major crimes happening in the city, so you'd expect the major crimes unit to be investigating them, wouldn't you? You certainly would. Um Here's hoping and fingers crossed and legs crossed and um, rubbing the old rabbit's feet that they will certainly be front and centre in season two. Um, I would really love to see uh, this duo back at the heart of the GCPD's precinct mm-hmm. and um, an ally to Jim Gordon in his fight for corruption uh, against, obviously, the chaos and madness that is is set to come but obviously we'll be talking about that chaos and madness and of course we'll always be um lighting the flame for the mcu um on our podcast where you can find them uh at gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash itunes remember you can also leave us a review there so that other listeners can find us you can also check us out if you don't have iTunes on any other good podcast catcher, such as Stitcher and Player FM. It's just search Gotham TV Podcast. Yep. And if you want to send us any feedback, you could send it to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Send us your thoughts on the full season. We'll be recording our final podcast about the last episode of Gotham next week. So just get your feedback in on the full season and we'll have a discussion about that as well. And remember on that, um, we will be drawing the winner of our competition in relation to feedback, comments, or reviews that have come through during the second half of uh, the season of Gotham. Mm-hmm. We'll be drawing um, the winner live as we record our next podcast. Um, remember, uh, you can still uh, send in your comments, feedback, thoughts, or make a review uh, between now and the last episode in a week's time. Mm-hmm. And one final bit of news, if you're not following us on social media, on Twitter, at Gotham TV Podcast, uh, you may not have heard, we are returning to New York Comic Con in 2015 in October. Uh, we had a great time out in New York Comic Con last year, where we got to meet most of the main cast of Gotham. Uh, you can go to our website and check out the interviews we did with the cast there. Um, and hopefully we'll have as good a time this year, uh, given that Gotham is recorded in New York. Uh, we do expect to see some of the members of cast uh, appearing at New York Comic Con, uh, their hometown event. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to bring you all that coverage in October. Exactly. Well, I think with that, it's on to our review. Yeah, this week's episode is Anvil or the Hammer. Episode was directed by Paul Edwards. He has directed uh, the 
The Mask in the previous episodes of Gotham. Uh, he also is well known for directing Lost and directed one of my favourite episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is episode 13 in season one called Tracks. So good to have him back on board. Uh, Jordan Harper is the writer for this episode. Uh, he is a former writer on The Mentalist working with Bruno Heller. Uh, this is his first foray into Gotham. I think he's done a pretty good job. John, do you want to give us a synopsis of what he wrote for us for this episode? The hunt by the GCPD for the ogre intensifies as he reveals his true intention to Barbara's shock and horror that involves his systematic breakdown of her emotionally. Mm-hmm. Bruce also intensifies his investigation as he follows up on his recent espionage with Cat and Alfred buries his former friend Reggie. Whilst at Wayne Enterprises, Bruce breaks into Bundeslaw's office only to find out more than he ever anticipated a secret that has ramifications for his father's memory, but also provides the opportunity for a potential new ally. In the morgue, Ed Nigma begins to deal with his recent actions, whilst also having some fun as he leaves his first clue. Fun of a different nature that includes a piggy, a whip, and what sounds like a chainsaw <laughs> is being had at the sexy, high-end foxglove nightclub. As Jim and Harvey obtain a personal testimony that leads them to the ogre, will Barbara and her loved ones survive? All the while, Oswald ruthlessly unfolds his master plan in Gotham that will indeed lead to chaos and rivers of blood. Rivers of blood, yes, right. A callback right to the first episode of Gotham. Yeah, I really like that, uh, that close out of this episode. Really good. And yeah, yeah, some, uh, some really interesting stuff this time. Ah, big time. I mean, just first off, I loved this episode. I thought it was really, really strong on all counts. I thought it was edgy. I thought it was risky, obviously, with the Foxglove uh, <laughs> Club, which I, I just loved. I thought it was a perfect scene and a perfect bit of writing. Uh, maybe it's one of my case points. Possibly. Um, I thought as well, most, if not all, of the protagonists that were on screen, felt as though they were in danger, they were in jeopardy mm-hmm. at some point or another for various reasons. And that was excellent. And, of course, it was the final part in the sense of the ogre, uh, his third part, his third act. Yeah. Um, and, again, you know, uh, Milo Ventimiglia has played Jason Lennon, the ogre, so so well. Absolutely. I have absolutely loved him in it. Um, and in a sense, again, I wish the, the the handcuffs and the prison bars were used a bit more than the bullet yeah. um, for some of these really good characters. Um, certainly. But I thought this was a great episode. One of my favourites of the season, actually. Yeah, it's a really interesting point that when Batman comes into the city, he essentially captures his villains, puts them into Arkham, or puts them into Blackgate Prison, and essentially they walk out the door, whereas uh, it seems like Justice in Gotham on the TV show is uh, a bullet to the head or uh, or to kill you and you're not seen again. So who's got it right, John? I guess only time will, will tell. Well, I think... Um... Batman has it right for a TV audience because then you can see all your favourite enemies and criminals and villains once more. Very uh, true. At this rate, um, they're getting ticked off uh, fairly quickly. That's true. That's um, true. To an extent. But no, I mean, seriously, probably Batman. Yeah. Justice, you know. Justice. Absolutely. We don't believe in the death penalty. Um, John, with that, on that note, do you want to give us your first case point of your top five for this week? Yep, I'm going to go straight in with the sexy Foxglove <laughs> nightclub. Um, for me, I thought this whole concept of the club um, was brilliant. It combined the humour of Harvey Bullock seeing what was going on and raising his GCPD detective's badge and bringing it all to a halt, you know, as you're hearing sort of pigs sounds, uh-huh. chainsaw sounds men and women sounds, you know, as this this act is introduced onto the stage of this S&M um, sort of nightclub, high-end nightclub. It had, it was risky, mm-hmm. the whole adult sexy thing. I mean, that was risky um, and risque, um, 
TV, and I loved that as well. Absolutely. Again, for an 8 p.m. time slot in the States, we've said this before many times that um, it seems like an odd time slot for some of the things that happen in the show. And yeah, you're right. This is a, this is definitely quite risky. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you know, masks, bondage, um, whatever is going on on that stage that leads um, Harvey Bullock to, to raise his badge and call in backup, um, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, you know, and as well. And then it's integral to the storyline. It had Sally, who's sort of the main usher, sort of like a maitre d', mm-hmm. who um, is questioned by Jim and Harvey. And it leads to this kind of you know pre-ogre um, experience for Jason Lennon and for, unfortunately for Sally. Um, and she's able to tell them things that help in the investigation. Yeah. And so for me... I just thought the whole scene around the foxglove combined sort of a risky adult element, which I really liked, with the dark black humour uh, surrounding Harvey Bullock. But it fed the storyline really well. And for me, I just thought this was a great um, sequence of scenes and dialogue. Loved it. And again, more pigs in um, <laughs> in Gotham. Yeah. Got, got ham is most definitely... Um, Bringing home the bacon. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. This is one of my points as well. I, I just love the reaction of Harvey in in there. I know the plan all in was to go to there, to send Harvey along, and for him to make an arrest so essentially Jim could get into the club with the other members of the GCPD and find, you know, find out possibly who Jason Lennon is or who the ogre is. But the reaction of Harvey, he's in the place about about two and a half minutes, I would say, sees everything that's going on, then immediately goes to the stage, says, you're all under arrest, especially you three up on the stage. <laughs> Just don't you move, essentially. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering if the guy has a fear of pigs. I'm wondering if he was a, a potential victim of the scarecrow at some point. I think Donald Logue played that so well. I mean, I was laughing away mm-hmm. for a long time uh, with that scene. I thought it was... Um, you know, really, really good. And as well, you know, there's some nice dynamics, I think, with Sally at the end when she's um, being questioned. She comes out with a really conscientious kind of line, really, mm. um, you know, with a social conscience there where she says, you know, she did go to the police, but she was a hooker and he was a rich man. You know, that kind of injustice of who do people um, to sort of unconsciously believe is it the man in a white coat a doctor is it a man in a uniform such as a police officer is it a man in a suit such as a a banker or Mm -hmm. a rich man or is it the the you know what maybe society would class as the dregs of society like hookers and and beggars and so on all this kind of thing those that live on the margins and i just thought that was a really nice little sort of uh moment of social commentary just in this scene, which worked so well in this episode, um, really good. In, yeah. in some of the other episodes, something like this could have almost been throw off, but for me, this worked so well, and it was primarily because it combined everything in it, and at its heart, it it drove and fed the storyline. So mm-hmm. great, great scene. So that's my first point. Yep. And it was hilarious. And yeah. it was hilarious, <laughs> absolutely, um, absolutely hilarious. As yep. the chainsaw starts up, uh, brilliant. brilliant. Absolutely rude. Um, Derek, what's your um, first case point? Uh, my first case point is really at the start. Um, it's really about Jason's admission to Barbara. Um, firstly, we find out that Barbara stayed overnight with Jason, and she wants to leave the following morning, just like we saw in episode nineteen when we had when he he had his previous victim stay overnight. Yeah, Grace Fairchild. That's wasn't right. It? Yeah, um, but Barbara wants to leave uh, in the morning, but for a very different reason than, reason than Grace. Grace wanted to leave because she wanted to go back to work. She had loads of meetings on for the day, and. Jason tries to convince her to stay. Um, Barbara wants to leave because she doesn't believe anything that Jason said to her. Uh, Barbara wants to leave because she doesn't believe she's worth staying with Jason. Um, it's a nice little kickoff to what turns out to be quite a, a, a very manipulative episode for poor Barbara. She gets manipulated in many ways over the course of the episode. But Jason's admission to her that the first night I met you, I was going to kill you. He says it straight out to her and then realized that potentially you were the one. Um the reaction by Aaron Richards, or the reaction by Barbara to this scene is fantastic. She is disgusted, repelled by this this conversation that Jason's having with her. Um, but it's a very different kind of reaction than uh, than 
Grace Fairchild's reaction. Grace instantly realized, oh, God, I'm trapped here. I'm This is going to be a nightmare. Oh, oh I've got to get out of here. Uh, Barbara starts to turn a little later in the episode, starts to turn towards Jason a little bit uh, as he convinces her and twists her into what he wants her to be. But she does make a run for the door as well, or to yes. the elevator doors. Um, so she is playing with him as well, I feel, in this part, to see that she gives herself room to make a dash for it, to make an That's escape right. as right. well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's actually one of my points as well, where I have Barbara bagged for, for breakfast, <laughs> um, where it provides this nice contrast between her, as you say, realizing she doesn't really want to be with this man. She doesn't believe him. Um, she doesn't necessarily think it's anything more than possibly just physical. Mm-hmm. Um and that contrasts so well with then Jason's character, who, for him, he considers he has found the one. Yeah. This person, Barbara, is the one. Um, the ogre wants this to work. He he knows that um, she is the one that he, in a sense now, must convince to be with him. And I just thought this was fantastically... Um, psychological, terrifying, threatening, and just intimidating. The whole scene in the apartment at breakfast or just before breakfast where it's a, a carbon copy to an extent of the Grace Fairchild. Yeah. Um, and it puts these two characters on a collision path and they just play it so, so well. I love Erin Richards here. I think again, uh, Milo Ventimiglia, um, nails this performance uh, and both of them are great together and so for me i i love this i really really do yeah yeah exactly and then as i say the reason that it stood out to me is because you know he's been looking for this person that he convinced can convince to love him unconditionally and part of what we talked about in many episodes before about barbara's character is that she's fallen uh, down and down, deeper and deeper into you know the spiral essentially, and now she's met the ogre. Uh, he's also met met her at this at this point in her life where she's probably a bit easier to convince and probably a bit easier to twist than his previous thirteen victims. So, in a sense, in a slightly uh, a slightly mental crazy sense, but in a sense, she is the one for the ogre because that's all, all what he's been looking for all along is someone to convince to spend the rest of their life with him. Um, yeah, and I mean, we have here as well that um, the ogre, you know, shows Barbara his methods, his work, and he really opens up to her to mm-hmm. what he is, who he is, and, and why he does it. And I love where he shows her his frogs and the line that you've got to kiss a lot of frogs when looking for love. And yeah. for him, Barbara is the person he's been seeking. Yeah. Yeah, that's the photographs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's uh, but it, but really cruel, really uh, difficult scene at times to watch for poor Barbara. Again, you know she's lost everything uh, throughout the series so far, um, and now she's now she's possibly going to lose her life in in one sense, and we'll come on to it. I'm, I'm sure a little bit later on, but what he makes her do essentially is go and kill her parents. Um, which is quite quite a huge twist for for the character, you know. I know she didn't have a huge amount of love for her parents, but I'm sure for anybody, um, it's going to be pretty difficult yeah, it's to make properly that properly traumatic mm-hmm. um, scene, really. And yeah, I mean, you get the impression that they're not close, but you don't necessarily think um, that she's going after her parents yeah. because they're so. Um, Distant, mm-hmm. that you—it's almost like they don't matter, and maybe that's why she picked them, or was sort of psychologically drained to comply with what the ogre is asking. Yeah, I mean, part of me felt that she might have said Leslie Tompkins in that moment when she whispered into his right. ears. I mean, she's walked in, she's seen Leslie and Jim together in in the locker room, so mm-hmm. maybe she had found out her name and was going to suggest Leslie Tompkins as almost some kind of revenge right. or, or vengeance on Jim to to break up his ideal world or something mm-hmm. if she had succumbed to the the ogre but yeah i mean the the blank look on her face as um 
Jim and Harvey show up to, you know, after they've tracked uh, her and the ogre down. I mean, is properly sort of blank, distant, um, almost hypnotized yeah. in a sense uh, to to do what the ogre wants. Absolutely. Um, so really brutal, um, intimidating scenes here and yeah. really strong storyline and a great strong ending to this three-parter of yeah. the ogre as this serial killer. Like, really juicy. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And again, you know, the reaction from Barbara basically t- telling Jim to leave her alone. She's fine. She's she's with Jason now kind of thing. Um, and unfortunately, we lose Jason with a bullet to the head, as we, as we mentioned earlier on. Um, Harvey distracts him and then Jim puts the bullet in his head. Um, but as he falls, he cuts Barbara's throat, you know, so... Uh, so she again has been let down by somebody else. I know she wasn't right in right frame of mind, I suppose, or in her own right mind. But, um, but yeah, once again, she's gotten somebody else in her life and can't gone back out of it again. And she's lost her parents in the same time. Definitely, I think I should do three case points on the trot here because right. um, that kind of leads into the ogres and Jim's fight. Right. Yeah. Uh, right at the end, and um, for me. This is a great fight scene. I love the fight between Jim and the ogre. Mm-hmm. I love the standoff between Jim and the ogre, where the ogre's obviously got um, Barbara as his shield and as his insurance from from getting shot. Mm. And I ultimately, I loved the shoot off in a sense. I mean, that was a great um, bullet to the head moment yeah. actually in in this. But I think for me. What I loved about it most was I felt, as an audience member, and it's something I don't normally feel in Gotham when Jim is fighting, I felt Jim was in real danger. It felt like he had met his match, that he might not necessarily come out of here completely unscathed, and of course he does get the the, the wound to his hand because he has to grab the... The, the knife. That's right. And that to me is what has been lacking a bit with some of the other fight scenes this season with Jim and another person is the sense of danger that Jim is in as he's fighting. And to me, I wasn't sure that Jim was going to get it all his own way in that mm-hmm. fight. And the only slight little niggle, and it is only, as, I actually just wish it had gone on for, for longer. I was enjoying the scrap so much between these two um, I just wish it had gone on a bit longer yeah. um, and just been drawn out because I thought the two of them were great in this fight scene. And again, it's a shame he wasn't arrested and manhandled to the ground um, and sort of, you know, really just given a massive punch in the face <laughs> at the end, knocked out and sent off to Arkham as a complete yeah. nut freak. I thought that fight was great. Yeah, this they seem to be so well matched, the two of them, really. And I know what you mean. It would have been great to set him up as a as a counterpoint to Jim in a, fu- in a future series, you know, where he goes after Jim's loved ones like Lee. Um, he actually never chased down Lee at all uh, in this episode, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, but, yeah, like it would have been great if it was se- if it the season two bad guy, the return of the ogre at the end of the season, but a bullet to the head is pretty much the definitive answer there. Yeah, so, um, again... Great fight scene. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. So, Derek, what's your second case point? It is kind of a connected point. It is really about Jim um, and him taking responsibility for Barbara's disappearance, and for me, rightly so. Um, it's very much something that we mentioned very quickly in last week's episode was his realisation that Barbara was under threat and that slow motion run down the stairs in the episode directed by DJ Scott. Um, fantastic moment. But in this episode, he speaks to Lee and says very specifically to her, this is my fault. I didn't check up on her. It's it's definitely my responsibility that Barbara's been taken. Um, if it wasn't for me and it wasn't for her living her life with me, she would now not be in the clutches of the ogre. Um, he, he states that he was in love with Barbara and now he's in love with Lee, but that doesn't mean the love is diminished for Barbara, which I think is something that Barbara probably should have heard at some point. Um, she really needs that at, at some point now, you know, he really needs to get that kind of affirmation in her life. Um, but I think it's a, a lovely scene and a really important scene for, for Jim to actually make that admission. To Leslie, yeah, no, I, I think so. And I liked how it came back full circle right at the end of the episode as well then, um, where, you know, he still says that he would protect Leslie over Barbara mm. in a first instance because 
Leslie is the person that he loves. Yeah. Uh, and it's no longer Barbara is the center of his affections, but he still cares for her. So mm -hmm. I loved how it kind of completed that circle, really. I also liked how when Jim was talking to Leslie about his relationship um, to Barbara and, you know, his ignorance of her has led to this situation. Yeah. I kind of did get the sense that Leslie was feeling a bit threatened um, in her... Um, in those scenes, right. just the way the Leslie, the way uh, Marina Baccarin, um was playing that role, mm -hmm. I, I thought there was a particular threatening element to what Jim was saying to Leslie, and I think that the end of the the episode then reassured her. So I kind of like that sort of subtle dynamic, and um, that I took from those scenes between Jim and Leslie as well. Yeah. It may not have necessarily been there, but I just somehow s seem to get that vibe from from those interactions. Absolutely. So it was a great, great set of scenes, definitely. Yeah, no, I totally agree. There's nothing more threatening than the ex, especially if the ex is still on the scene, you know. Um, yeah, totally, totally understand that. Um, John, what's your next point? My next point is Ed's travel carry-on cases um, <laughs> that he brings into the morgue right very early on in, in the episode. Um, some cojones, doesn't he? That's, yeah, uh, that is and really his, uh, his cargo is Officer Tom Doherty, mm -hmm. um, which, unfortunate for, for him, who, yeah. um, you know, sliced <laughs> up, sliced and diced. Um, and I just kind of loved, interspersed throughout this episode, that... It dealt with his actions and that actually, you know, we see him as not being manic or anything. He's just trying to protect himself. Mm -hmm. He's slicing them up. He's obviously dissolving the body parts in um, in acid. We have that lovely Hamlet moment where he's looking at the skull Sorry. just before he crushes it. Um, yeah, he's not placing them in the lockers of any of his partners no, or anything. No, he's making sure all the evidence is gone. And then finally... You know, he's trying to tidy it all up after Christine is inquiring about where Tom is. He, you know, he was supposed to turn up. She's not surprised that he didn't, but mm -hmm. then she hasn't seen him since. And he writes this, this letter, which has a little sense of fun in it because they're down the left hand side. When you look at the, the letters starting each of those rows, it spells out Enigma. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I love that. I love that macabre sense of fun in, in dealing with his actions from the previous episode. Um, and it was a nice little touch. And I loved all this just interspersed throughout the whole of, um, of this episode yeah. it was great yeah absolutely uh, i do like that little moment when christine comes in and sees the box of body parts essentially but doesn't recognize any of them because how would you um but uh but basically catching nigma in the act and just him explaining to her that this is his job this is what he deals with every day and uh yeah if she looked a little bit closer she might have recognized a uh, a watch or you know a ring maybe <laughs> but uh like the scene i was wondering whether that was going to happen mm. definitely nice but, attention um, there then yeah again a nice little dark humour from the writers and directors and showrunners here where, you know, Chris Kringle walks into the morgue where Ed is essentially soaring up her boyfriend yeah. and um, dissolving it in caustic acids, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, nice little touch. Really, um, really like this bit. So, um, yeah. So, Derek, what's your next case point? Uh, my next case point is Connor's crew being set up by Oswald. Oh, oh my God! The rivers of blood are flowing, as we uh, as we mentioned earlier on. And we are starting to see a little bit of uh, Oswald's plan coming to fruition here. Um, we saw the whole build up of this in the last couple of episodes, where he where he brings in Connor, um, the the Irish Irish mafia guy, I guess. The setup is really like The Godfather, where Al Pacino's character goes to kill. Um, the opponents of the family, uh, they plant a weapon in in uh, in the toilet in that in that movie. Uh, in this movie, they planted some weapons, one behind the jukebox, one under the bar. Um, but Oswald hasn't loaded the weapons. How fantastic is that? I was really surprised. Yeah, he's I, taken the firing pin out. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was. Um, I thought it possible that Maroney's crew had gotten to them and just removed the bullets. Essentially, they they knew what was going to happen the whole time. The reveal that it is actually the plot of Oswald to create his two most powerful heads. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. And once again, the show has confirmed 
that Gotham is about the rise of the Penguin, not about Jim Gordon's time in the GCPD. It is much more about the rise of the Penguin. Definitely. This was this was one of my points as well. Um, Oswald's foil, the, the gun jam. I thought it was a really nice twist um, to the whole sort of build-up where you have Butch planting the guns, as mm-hmm. you say, and then Connor coming in to do the deed. He has that expensive bottle of uh of italian monastic liqueur yeah. there that he's giving to Maroni um as a present and it was just really good we discussed this in episode 4 in arkham and also because of episode 3 in blue man where oswald shows back up after his banishment from from gotham and in episode 4 in arkham i think we discussed how was that whole episode about Arkham and the land grab by Maroney and Falcone, that that was a huge manipulation of Jim by Oswald Cobblepot mm-hmm. to, to maneuver these two dons into position for a potential turf war. And now we have it. And I'm really convinced that all the way through this season now, Oswald has been playing chess, mm-hmm. has been playing chess with Gotham and with his employers, whether it be Maroney, Fish, or with Falcone, and that this is the culmination of that, where he is seeking to pit Maroney versus Falcone, and for each of those two heads of those two crime families to blame the other, and for Oswald to essentially sit pretty in the middle uh, and, and watch the chaos and the rivers of blood take place yeah. you know what he um predicted what he prophesized about at the start that things were changing mm-hmm. and the rivers of blood from episode one for me he could say that with so much confidence because he was the mastermind behind it i'm absolutely, absolutely. convinced yeah and i don't know whether that will play out in the final episode uh next week but in my own head it leaves it open for viewers and the audience to think that, and that to me is just just as good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, def- I will say, when we get the Blu-ray of this uh, and we have a nice high-definition version copy of this, I'll be going right back to episode two and looking at the map that uh, the map and the plan that Oswald had on the roof of that caravan when he was banished from Gotham. Um, I know we paused it, I know we rewinded it a bunch of times to try and read everything on his plan, but I'd say if you look really closely in a high-definition version of that, you'll get a bit more out of it and you'll see a bit more of the details of, uh, of Oswald's plan. But I love how it's come to fruition in this episode. Um, really interesting. And yeah, the war is about to start, so looking forward to next week's episode as well. Definitely, and I think part of it is just the manipulation of messages and communication by Oswald. I just loved it. Um, And unfortunately for Connor, he probably loved it less because we get that fantastic head-in-a-pock scene right at the end. You know, it's all the Mafia films. It's all the dark, psychotic thriller films like Seven, Mm -hmm. The Head in the Box, fantastic. Poor Connor, um, definitely. But again, you know, this attempt on Maroney's life by, um, by perceived to be by Falcone, mm-hmm. the tainted message by Oswald to Maroney, who thinks it's Falcone, and then vice versa. Falcone is there thinking, this is Maroney, again, set up by Oswald. Really good master manipulation. Um, and that's not surprising for those who read the comics as well. You know, there is a history of this um, trait within Oswald Cobblepot mm-hmm. and the Penguin. So I just think it's a really, really good uh, part of this episode. Yeah, they've done a they've done a good job. Definitely, I think uh, Oswald has probably had to take a little bit of a backseat for me the last couple of episodes. Nigma's really come to the fore, and I've loved, I've loved um, Corey Michael Smith's portrayal of Nigma. I've always liked. Robin Lord Taylor in the part in, in the role of, of Oswald Cobblepot but for the last couple of episodes kind of treading water a little bit not much movement but one, but once he moves he moves like a rattlesnake it's uh, it's fast it's to the point and you see exactly what his plan was we should have worked it out we should have known there was something bigger than him just killing Maroney in a in a bar but uh, but yeah really good. But that's it I mean it's almost the wrong animal it's not the penguin it, it's a it's a leopard mm-hmm. sat there ready to pounce you know and now 
there he is licking his chops at um, all this amazing chaos that he's brought. And, you know, and we see right at the end Moroni doing a hit on a Falcone uh, property. Right. So we see Captain Essen come out and essentially warn everyone that, you know, tough if you've got leave planned, it's cancelled because, you know, there is sheep coming down um, across Gotham because of this now turf war. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was my point. John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, my final case point here is the blurring of Thomas Wayne. Um, mm-hmm. Both his motives and the questioning of his integrity by Sid Bundeslaw to the young Bruce Wayne. Yeah. At least initially, um, because it goes against a lot of what my perception of Thomas Wayne is, this philanthropic, generous um, billionaire um, who, you know, puts his money and his corporation um, to good causes. Yeah. Um, you know, not just being a multinational company, but there being an element of a social conscience again. And that is all thrown out by Sid Bundeslaw as he describes to, to Bruce Wayne that it's time for them to have the same talk that Wayne Enterprises had to do um, with his father and his grandfather, that this is going back multi-generations um, of the Wayne family were... They're sat down by their company, essentially, and set and told, if we can avoid regulation and if we can avoid legal elements in mm. all the territories that we operate in, we will do that. And that we do have an arms unit. We do have a chemical warfare unit. We do have um, certain um, business units within this huge company that are maybe dubious that are not just simply selling you know food drink or whatever that they have some serious um commitments and i love that and you see the the rug that's been pulled from bruce's feet by this uh, announcement from bunda's law mm. and i thought it was great i really really enjoyed that it was a complete uh, 180 for me on, on this character um, I've never really thought of Thomas Wayne being a bad guy. It's interesting. Um, yeah. Before, mainly because he's killed so quickly, and I mean he is here, but his memory is so much fresher because, well, I don't know. We're still within a year of when he was shot, technically, yeah. maybe within the actual timeline of Gotham. But then he is partly redeemed as well, and um, but not entirely within the eyes of. Um, the young Bruce Wayne, because we do see, and this is a great introduction of um, Chris Chalk as Lucius Fox. That's right, that's right. Yeah, it's a great introduction to Lucius Fox telling Bruce that he's he's known his father when he was younger, he's known all about him, he is a trustworthy character, he is you know as trustworthy as Bruce believes he is, which puts into question Bundeslaw for me, um, which I think is a good point. Bundeslaw is the very definition of the unreliable narrator. He's telling Bruce about his unfortunately deceased father and his unfortunately deceased grandfather that both of them just accepted the talk as he calls it this is the one person that's worked with martha mathis who we know is the villain of the piece we know that she's on the the bad side of wayne enterprises reggie's the one that reveals bundeslaw and martha mathis work together uh, on that side of wayne enterprises are they just having the talk with bruce to try and get him on side and try and see if he's easily more easy to convince than Thomas Wayne there's still there's still a whole element of why were they murdered why was Thomas and Martha Wayne murdered was it possibly because he didn't accept the talk by these members of the of Wayne Enterprises so really interesting yeah or did Wayne Enterprises potentially see that Thomas Wayne was keeping himself hidden I mean Lucius Fox has this really great line I'm going to tell you something, and I'd appreciate if you kept your face perfectly still. There's cameras everywhere. I know because I put them there. What I'm about to say must be a deep secret between you and me. I knew your father well. He was a good man. He wasn't the man the company thought he was. I don't understand you. Bruce, your father was a true stoic. He kept his best self 
hidden. That's all I'll say. Good luck. It's such a great line, this yeah. idea that he, Thomas Wayne, was hiding himself from his own corporation. Um, he was using Lucius Fox, as is the case in the Nolan films, um, to do good within a corporate structure that is essentially promoting, you know, bad, in inverted commas. Yeah. Um, whether it redeems... Thomas Wayne in the eyes of Bruce, I still think there's a question mark there because, again, talking about narrators, we have Lucius Fox essentially say, don't believe necessarily what Sid Bunder's law is saying. Mm -hmm. um, and we have then, when Bruce comes clean to Alfred, Alfred's saying, your father was a good man, and he reiterates this. And I love, I absolutely love the tap on the table by Alfred to Bruce as he really just makes his point. It's, it's just a small gesture by Sean Pertwee, um, but it's kind of like just trying to cut across Bruce Wayne, who is actually being quite forthright with, with Alfred yeah. in, in this scene um, to make sure that Bruce is fully aware that his father was a good man. But nonetheless, his picture does go up on the investigation corkboard right at the end. Now, is that as a victim or as a player or both, yeah. potentially? Yeah, yeah, really So that's, that's really interesting. I suspect it probably is a victim. And I suspect that ultimately when the die is cast, Thomas Wayne will be and still be a good, um, generous person. However, I love this whole graying of this character um, and to an extent, undermining of what is normally thought about him. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really well done. That's something fresh. Definitely. And and I think there's a, a good little point made here. Again, this is supposed to be the world's greatest detective is Batman uh, and Bruce Wayne, essentially. So the one thing that makes a person a great detective is not ignoring some clues. You know, if he just ignored the fact that Thomas may be involved in, in this whole conspiracy that he's uncovering... Um, it wouldn't make him a very good detective if he just ignored someone just because he loved them and because it was his father. So I like that little touch as well. Really, really good. Definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. And the one other element that really stood out to me here, and we've talked about it a little bit in the past, but I really think that this is a good possibility. This is an allusion to the Court of Elves from the comic books, from Scott Snyder's run on the comic books of, of Batman, that there is an, an underground society that are running things, and potentially Thomas Wayne and... Bruce Wayne's grandfather had some knowledge of the Court of Elves and what they were doing for the city and, what, and how they were guiding everything that was going on. I'm wondering if that's a possibility. I would completely agree with you. I mean, we've certainly heard um, that Danny Cannon has mentioned that he would love to see the Court of Elves mm -hmm. come into the run of Gotham. I think if nothing else, this whole murky corporate structure at Wayne Enterprises, now this idea that Thomas Wayne and maybe even his grandfather had to hide their real selves whilst working at that corporate structure mm. that maybe just maybe it's because they knew about the court of owls and they had to keep their true intentions hidden in the same way that the court of owls do yeah and if nothing else it leaves it open to introduce the court of owls which is what i'm most excited about this aspect that it may not be the Court of Owls, but there is an opening there for the writers and runners of the show to bring them in and to involve them. And my understanding as well from when we spoke with Danny Cannon at New York Comic Con uh, last year in 2014 was that DC were very generous with opening up the sandbox of DC Comics and the Batman Absolutely. universe. So the Court of Owls is not off the table, so to speak. That's right. So, yeah, this is a really heavy um, nod to the Court of Owls, I think, here, mm -hmm. um, which is great. That is an exciting prospect, definitely. So, Derek, um, what's your next case point? My final point is actually just a little point. It's just about Jim Gordon again for this episode. I love how we've gotten, how we've been getting more and more development of Jim Gordon over the course of this season and the moment when he goes to ask for some more help 
from Oswald. Um, firstly, the reaction from Harvey of of uh, of going to ask for help is essentially you're digging yourself your own hole. You should you should be able to do this stuff without going to that guy for help, essentially, uh, which I think was quite interesting that he's kind of already seeing that, you know, in the same way that Harvey was beholden to fish before she left Gotham. Jim is starting to become beholden to the only criminal he knows, and it's the most duplicitous criminal in the city, which is Oswald Cobblepot. Um, perhaps Jim doesn't isn't fully aware of how uh, of how deep things go with Oswald, so um, he's probably still thinks he has a little bit of trust in this weasley little guy. You know, just this line here from Jim to Oswald, and Oswald's response says it all. You think you know who I am, what I'm capable of? You have no idea. Today is an important day for me, so I will accommodate your request. But, detective, mark my words, you owe me a big favor. Yeah, so it's basically, if you think you know who I am, you don't know me. It's a fantastic little reference there, if any, any of the wrestling yeah, fans. <laughs> it's such, such a great line. Yeah. I mean, I love this development of Oswald and Jim's relationship. Um, just this idea that it's one-sided, um, you know, that Oswald values it. And actually, Oswald probably has valued this relationship much more than Jim ever has. Mm-hmm. But it's probably for a moment like this where essentially the chips are stacking up against Jim now to really deliver if and when Oswald needs a favour. I mean, it seems to me that Oswald will have carte blanche now at this stage. Absolutely. You know, no, don't kill me. No, don't arrest me. Mm-hmm. He could almost ask those questions. And the observation from Harvey again, you know, is bang on the money for um, its truth that he's got himself into a web, a tangled web from a master manipulator who now has got, what, two is it, or three favours that he can call on? Yeah. So this was a great little development of, of their relationship and I can't wait to see how, in a sense, it goes really quite badly for Jim, <laughs> Jim. Gordon because yeah. it must do. That's it for the top five points for this episode. Tons to talk about, obviously. Um, this was a jam-packed episode, definitely. Yeah. Um, I've just got one final note, and that was that, you know, where's Fish? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is she dead? Because last time we saw her, she had a, a, a bullet to the stomach. Is she still alive? Or is she never to return? Is she maybe going off to make Metropolis a living hell? <laughs> um, who knows? But, you know, in the same sense that We've not seen the MCU. Um, you know, where's Fish? Will we see her again? I suspect we will, given the talent of Twitter to reveal things that maybe I didn't want to know just yet. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm complaining, <laughs> um, because I like to see it play out, definitely. But, you know, there's a long period of time there between her previous screen appearance to essentially her reappearance in next week's episode the season finale of gotham yeah and my concern is that maybe all that in between stuff is either glossed over or takes up too much of her time and reappearance in gotham so i'm i'm waiting to see what happens there but um i can't wait to see fish back yeah definitely definitely so overall, a really good episode, and uh, really excited to see what happens in uh, in episode 22, the closing episode of the season. I can't believe we're at 22 episodes for this season. We never knew it was going to be this uh, this length when we started doing the podcast, but, uh, but looking forward to seeing that episode next week. Definitely. I thought this was a great episode of Gotham. It not only closed off the investigation into the ogre, mm-hmm. um, and a great performance over the three parts by Milo Ventimiglia and from uh, Aaron Richards Mm -hmm. as Barbara Keane but it reintroduced just um, the Machiavellian nature of Oswald and what um, his plan for Gotham is and it tees up then for the season finale so well I mean from what I've heard this is going to be a jam-packed episode as well and yeah. i hope that they're able to pull it off because there's a lot coming i think for this last episode episode 22 of gotham mm-hmm. um but this episode was superb um it had some great humor in it the foxglove club um and you know 
It looked at Enigma's response to his previous actions, the killing of Officer Tom Doherty, and then the relationship of Jim to Leslie, of Jim to Barbara, Mm -hmm. and of Jim's relationship to Oswald. A really, really great episode. I loved it. One of my favourites for this season. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And also had one of the creepiest lines uh, delivered in the show so far. The, I love you like no one has ever loved you. I'll chain you to the ceiling and gut you if you don't do what I want you to do. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, Jason, all right, I'll do whatever you want. I'll, I'll ch- chain me to the ceiling, you're grand. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's our discussion on the anvil or the hammer. And remember, you can find us at gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or you can search Gotham TV Podcast on any other good podcast catcher, player, FM, Stitcher. Um, You can also tweet and Twitter with us at Gotham TV Podcast, Mm -hmm. or you can like our page on Facebook, just search Gotham TV Podcast. Say the last live tweet next week as well, John, for uh, for episode 22. I know. But you can, of course, send us in feedback to feedback at GothamTVPodcast.com, as I mentioned last week. I got a little bit of a, a mix of news and feedback this week, so I'm going to try and see if I can get our sound file to be to have a mix of uh, of our, our news noise and uh, fascinating, fascinating, if I can. Uh, <laughs> but on to the feed news back. Fascinating. Points well made, I think. Yeah, so as I mentioned, the feedback this week is about quite a big bit of news that came out this week. The TV show Supergirl is coming out in CBS this year. Uh, The pilot has been made and the show has been greenlit for a full season. This program is quite connected to the CW programs Arrow and Flash and apparently will have a few crossovers with that show. Um, Looks really interesting, really like the trailer for Supergirl, really interesting, good kind of, um, a good kind of fun show, similar to the Flash in style, I thought. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, uh, but one of the other big announcements about the Supergirl show is essentially that it's going to be on at the same time as Gotham uh, Broadcasts. Yeah. Uh, controversial. At, I know, on at 8pm yeah. on a Monday night. Um, I must admit, given the prime time slot is probably between 8 and 10pm in the US, and we have at least six comic book shows running at the moment, there's going to be crossover at some point uh, between a lot of the shows. But we did get some feedback in uh, about this, so we thought we'd bring it into the news section. Yeah, so Ben Rush um, tweeted at us um, saying, so I I guess in the next podcast you're going to have a chat about CBS putting Supergirl against Gotham in America, how this could cause some issues for ratings. And certainly I think um, Ben is right there. I mean, it makes sense for a network to put a big show like Supergirl, uh, if you think of how big Smallville was, Mm -hmm. you know, same universe that... To have that prime time on a Monday, um, it makes sense for the network. Whether it makes sense for Warner Brothers, who are trying to promote, you know, Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, um, mm-hmm. Zo- uh, I Zombie, Gotham. Now they don't have Constantine anymore, but they're still trying to get another network to take up. Constantine. So there's a lot of programs there for for Warner Brothers, who yeah. are the the producers of these shows, to to really think about how they are spread over the week. And I think certainly this brings up some serious DC competition for Gotham. That's right. That's right. One of the things we said back to Ben on this was really that Agents of Shield and Flash went up against each other this season um, in the US. Flash has actually been winning that a little bit, uh, winning the ratings war during that period a little bit. Um, this season, considering it's the second season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that's quite worrying for for the makers of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But at least, in a way, at least those are two different uh, two different companies that are fighting against each other. Um, in this case, it's two Warner Brothers pop- properties that are fighting against each other. What we have seen, though, is that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has overall maintained the number of people watching it, but they've essentially time-shifted their viewing, which means they record it and watch it at a later stage, which means essentially that advertisers are going to start to move away from programs that are being recorded and are watched at a later stage. They want people to be watching live so that they know the money that they're spending on advertising is being watched by people, really. So um, so I don't know, this could cause a little bit of difficulty, but really my feeling is that, that there's not enough space on the schedule for things not to clash. 
Yeah, definitely. And actually, Ben came back um, and he just said, I think this could be a big problem for Gotham. Uh, the Supergirl series is connected to Flash and Arrow. And that's true. I mean, at this moment in time, Gotham is very much um, out on its own prominently um really ill of the DC universe mm-hmm. where there's no expectation that there will be crossover whereas CW with the properties The Flash and Arrow mm-hmm. are really interconnecting these different shows to the point of having their own spin-off show with characters from both shows. That's right, yeah, The Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah The Legends of Tomorrow. And now you've got the Supergirl series that is also going to have a crossover with these two shows. And Ben also then goes on to say, and this is my issue with Gotham, and in no way um, any dislike or hate for the actors or or production team, um, but he goes on and says that he watched 10 years of Smallville and nearly chucked the TV out (laughs) out of the window at the end uh, with the ending. Um, CGI Superman, um, you know, frown emoticon it was not a good time for smallville um fans and they he goes on and says and i feel that unless they are clever people will get tired of waiting for the bat and this is his issue with gotham is that there's potentially a long time before batman appears in gotham Mm -hmm. and if it gets drawn out too long and the ending isn't nearly satisfactory enough for those fans who um, love the show, have stuck with the show, that this could really be a, a big downer then on the the whole season and series um, of Gotham. Um, you know, he says, people may or will get tired of waiting for the bat to arrive, mm. and I'm fairly sure, but by the time Bruce would be Batman, all the major foes will be nearly 50, so um, and not much of a physical fight for him. But I do wish he goes on to say that Alfred could get his own TV spin-off adventures before he went to Gotham. I'd definitely go here, here for that. No. I'd love to see Sean Pertwee um, as Alfred in his own spin-off show, definitely. Yeah. And I do agree. I think they have to have a really careful balancing act with some of these major foes that are being introduced into Gotham. There's been a lot of talk um, by other outlets, we've mentioned it a few times on our podcast, about how many new characters, but also existing characters and their backstories are being introduced mm-hmm. and are very quickly getting resolved. Yeah. Um, and resolved with no potential of development for the characters either. Like, as you said, as you mentioned on the Scarecrow episode, we lost Dr. Crane. He's dead in that episode. Uh, his son's too young to be seen again. So we don't, we will never get another Scarecrow episode in the future. And um, we just see here in this episode that the ogre's gone. We won't see a future development for that character again. Um, it's, uh, there's a good reason why the characters go off to Arkham at the end of, at the end of an issue of Batman. It's because they can be brought back at a future stage, you know? But just the last point I want to make on this, and I'm sure we will talk about it at the end of at the end of the season when we do our kind of wrap up, and we'll probably talk about talk about it next week as well. And um, one of the challenges I've seen with Gotham this season is that you know it got to 13 episodes and got extended to 16, and got extended from 16 to 22, and you could feel that it, it didn't feel like an overarching story. What we do know for season two of Gotham is they have 22 episodes, which means the writers are very hard at work right now in the writers' room trying to develop an arc for season two. So my hope, and I'm crossing my fingers, is that by the end of season two, you won't be just waiting for the bat to arrive. I've heard a number of people ask the question of us in the past on Twitter and on on feedback that we've received, asking us whether there should be a time jump in the show so that uh, so that we can see Batman earlier. This is not a Batman TV show. I've said it before. Arrow is your Batman TV show that you're going to get. Definitely. Batman is going to be reserved for the movies. I want to see David Mazus play the part of a young Bruce Wayne for a number of years ahead. He's a great actor and has been doing some great stuff in this role. I don't want him to disappear out of the show just to satisfy us, uh, I feel. but For me, Gotham is not about waiting for Batman to show up. It is most definitely about seeing those big protagonists and villains and enemies of Batman who can be introduced in an environment and in a world where there is a young Bruce Wayne, how they become and how they develop Mm -hmm. and where their origin is. I think one of the best parts of this season so far, um, you know, with all due respect to the final episode, is still the development of 
Oswald Cobblepot and the Penguin over these 22 episodes. And that, to me, I've not been waiting for the Batman to come. I've been waiting to see how Penguin establishes himself in Gotham. Mm -hmm. Again, on a smaller scale, and maybe this will take off in season two, how the Riddler establishes himself and in, in Gotham. Then it might be how the Court of Owls influence um, Gotham before Batman. How Alfred and Bruce's relationship develop. They're things that I don't know a lot about. And they're the things I'm excited about with Gotham. To begin with, I thought it was going to be about the GCPD um, more. And I think that's become less and less. Obviously, they're still there, but I thought there was going to be a, a much more of a focus on the GCPD, their internal um, operations and how they deal with crime, such as with Oswald before the bat. You know, this how Gotham Central, those arcs of comics were done. That appears to be being less and less of the case, and I think that's probably why we haven't seen the MCU um, as prevalent in the second half of this season. Yeah. I hope they bring that back as well in season two, because I think that is a great way of filling in these spaces. I think with Spirit of the Goat, and I think um, with a number of other episodes where they've looked at the internal workings of the GCPD and how they work, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed those as well. Definitely. So hopefully they will not just simply um, feel like we're waiting for the back. Yeah, thanks for that, Ben. This was obviously the hot-button topic of the week as well, because we also got uh, to agree one of our regular listeners contacting us on Twitter, asking us about our feel- feelings of having Supergirl in direct competition with Gotham in the US uh, next season. Um, just one other point about that, because I didn't really make it very clear. Uh, I do think these are very different audiences. The audience that will watch a, pr- a police procedural set in DC World versus a show about a superhero who's flying around saving saving cities and saving countries possibly, which is what Supergirl would be. And um, I think they're very different audiences. They, they, uh, we've mentioned before about comic book audiences are actually quite small. The connections to DC Comics here are quite small in Gotham. At this stage, they've kind of developed quite a large audience for watching the TV show Gotham. Um, and I have a feeling the people that watch it are quite different to a lot of comic book fans. Um, they may not watch things like Arrow or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Flash or Constantine or any of the other shows that are based and, and much more connected to comic books. So that means there will be a very different audience for Supergirl. Um, so you may just they may just be mining another portion of, of, uh, of the U.S. demographic that wants to watch a big-budget TV show based on a superhero. And, I mean, of course... Over here in Ireland and in the UK, mm-hmm. there may not be this clash at all. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. you know, we've not even gotten Agent Carter, say, on the Marvel side. Um, it may be that no terrestrial TV um, channel in Ireland or the UK pick up Supergirl. Uh, Constantine wasn't picked up by any of them. Mm-hmm. It was picked up by Amazon Prime instead, and I think... That dented its numbers a bit um, in in the UK and, and in Ireland, but you know it it'd be difficult to see where Supergirl would slot in, other than on um, maybe Sky, where there's multiple channels, or you know a cable service um, where you've got multiple channels that can pick it up, but then. Where's it going to go? Will it be on a the Fox Channel? Will it be on Sci Fi Channel or mm-hmm. or those type of things? But it may not necessarily get picked up by a terrestrial broadcaster in Ireland or the UK yeah. because, in a sense, there's just not the capacity in the scheduling to to allow for that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, final response to this, just as we were talking about this on, on Twitter, uh, Gotham Central responded saying uh, it's no competition uh, between Supergirl and Gotham. Um, Gilmore Girls had its time adding a cape won't help. Oof. I know, yeah, Doug responded. Doug was Doug pretty much said, yep, that's pretty harsh. Uh, I thought it looked a lot years, light years better than uh, than some of the other shows we've seen. And I'd agree, I think, I think Supergirl's got a really good chance of being a, a pretty popular show, you know. Um, I think you might be biting your words there when it comes around to September next year. Um, the Flash and, and Arrow are hugely successful shows, and this seems to be in the same kind of vein, you know. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Watch this space, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it for this week. Um, thank you so much for for listening and tuning in or downloading. Um, 
we are really, really excited now for, for next week, episode 22 mm-hmm. of Gotham. All happy families are alike. And we can't wait to see this final installment of season one of Gotham. Definitely. Um, and to see how it all pans out and maybe what it sets up for the season two that's been confirmed now. But again, thank you so much for listening. And we will speak to you again next week. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much for your feedback. Um, one other thing, I just want to say it again. Um, if you've been watching uh, the Daredevil TV show on Netflix, make sure you go and check out our, our sister podcast, which is Defenders TV podcast covering the Netflix show Daredevil. Um, by the time you're listening to this, we will have, have released all 13 episodes uh, review of that show. So uh, so if you go over to DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes, you can hear our thoughts on, the, on that fantastic Marvel Daredevil series. Definitely. And um, we'll leave you this week just like Gotham did with Boiling Point by The The. A great outro music again. Um, just a great moment for Gotham being that it's now at the boiling point that the temperature is rising. So just a great track. Talk to you again next week. Again, thank you so much for listening and we will speak to you next time. Bye. Podcast, do not cross Alan and Montoya. <laughs> the hunt by the GCPD for the org intensifies. Okay. I've got that. The hunt for the GCPD. <laughs> As Jim and Harvey obtain a personal testimony that leads them to the org, will Barbara and her loved ones survive? Or- that leads them to the org. <laughs> I think there's a really good possibility that the court of a court. I think there's a really good the cork board of owls. I think there's a really good possibility that this is a, a kind of a. a... <laughs> so, Derek, um, what's your next case point? Um, my final point is actually. <laughs> I'm going to steal yours. Sorry. That's fine. Um... <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.